Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. At the bottom of this hour, Alex Kelly is going to join me, the Secretary of Commerce for the state of Florida. Uh, glad to glad to have Alex with me. Okay, I, I wanna I wanna call your attention to something. We're gonna revisit a topic from last week, and I need your attention on this one. This is this is this is important stuff. Have you noticed how last week, uh, y'all? <laughs> You know, I mean, seriously, come on. This this is last week in open testimony in the United States Congress. A man who works for the Department of Defense says the United States has non-human, quote-unquote, biologics found in crashed alien or non-human spacecraft. They didn't want to say aliens. Or extraterrestrials. There's no E.T. phoning home here. E.T. died in the crash. And there's nothing. There is nothing uh, in national news coverage. This is like the biggest story of our lifetime. And there's no major coverage of it except in fringe publications. Yes, we need to talk about the aliens. They're not little green men. They're non, what do they call them, non-Earth uh, origins, non-human biologics. That's a mouthful to say they're aliens, but are they? So I, I, I'm, I'm conflicted. I, I, I want to I be up front and fully transparent. I'm conflicted. In talking about this, because y'all going to think I'm going off the deep end. But first, let me give you my prevailing theory. I have, I've got two theories on opposite ends of the spectrum. What I think is most likely, what I think is most likely is there are no aliens. There are no spacecraft. I, I think there's nothing, and I think this is why the media isn't really covering it. I think this is a psychological warfare against the deeply paranoid Chinese. The Chinese are an increasing military threat. And I don't know if you know this or not because it does not get a lot of press coverage in the American press, but the Chinese are not doing so hot when it comes to their military. For example, they put out their first nuclear-powered aircraft carrier last year, and within three days of setting sail, it caught on fire. And now there was a report out last week that this nuclear-powered aircraft carrier is cracking in half lengthwise. The welding was of such poor work that the ship is having a hard time staying together. Now, this is not uncommon in China where buildings have been known to topple over from shoddy construction. They built a high-speed elevated railway from Shanghai to Tibet, and the railway toppled over. Uh, and this is one of the problems with, with communist leadership is that whistleblowers are killed, so no one blows the whistle. So everyone passes the blame. No one takes responsibility. There's all sorts of inefficiency in communist systems. What I find remarkable, actually, are the number of environmentalists 
who think capitalism is bad and we need to get rid of capitalism in order to save the planet. And yet when you look at these socialist and communist regimes like China, Cuba, Venezuela, and the like, they are deeply inefficient, deeply polluting, deeply messy, and things just don't work well. This is... I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. This is a feature, not a bug, of communist systems. But the Chinese are rapidly trying to get a leg up on us. They have hacked our computer systems. They've planted malicious viruses and Pentagon servers. They've done all sorts of things to get ahead. And here comes the United States, and we got aliens. It's not just that we got aliens. It's we got aliens who are capable of extraordinary feats that defy physics with their technology, and we have that technology. So China, we've been studying this stuff since Roswell. We've been studying stuff since the 1930s. This is all This is all something we want you to know we have, and you can't find it on our computer servers because it's not there. I dare you to invade Taiwan, China, and wait until you see our alien technology. That is what I think is going on. Psychological warfare. And I think that's why the media, I mean, y'all, if Jesus Christ returned tomorrow, we saw a portal open in the sky, an interdimensional transfer of power and energy, and a man comes through on a horse. That would be the biggest story since his resurrection. It would be a massive news story. If Jesus Christ showed up tomorrow in the sky, Scripture says all heads would bow, all knees would bend, all would proclaim him Lord. It would be a universal event. You know, I mean, Christians theorized that the reason Christ did not come until the Roman Empire was in order for the Christian message to spread. It wasn't timely for Christianity, but by the time the Roman Empire was there, they covered the entirety of the West, uh, and then they had trade routes all the way to China and India. We know that the Apostle Thomas wound up dying in southern India. He was able to make it all the way to India to spread the gospel message because of the trade routes the Romans had established from end to end the Roman Empire into Africa, into Asia, uh, the, the the gospel could spread. And up until the moment of the Pax Romana, it would have been impossible for the gospel to spread so efficiently that made it possible. Well, Scripture says that all of the world at one time is going to be able to see Christ return. The only way that can happen is the rise of the Internet age, the 24-7 news channel, and video cameras and iPhones everywhere. So uh, he couldn't have returned until now. And I don't know when he's going to return, but it couldn't be before this moment because of technology. There's no way for everyone on a round planet, unless you're one of those flat earthers in the Georgia Republican Party, if we're on a round planet, there's no way for all of us at one time to see this event unless everybody's got a video camera and you've got a 24-7 news feed in the Internet and YouTube for people to watch as this portal opens and God himself comes walking out. 
So if there were aliens, you would think the entire news media would cover it because next to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the actual admission from government scientists that we have aliens and alien technology should be a really big deal, except it's not. So is it true? Is this psychological warfare? Is this us trying to get China to call our bluff? That, to me, is the most logical option here. There are people within the government who believe we've got aliens, and it's all a ruse. So they're not really lying. They think they're telling the truth. So the Chinese pick up on the fact they think they're telling the truth. But really, it's all a psychological operation against China. Now, this is where I go off the rails for many of you. Buckle up. If it is aliens, I don't think it's aliens. You know, throughout the history of mankind, there have been leaders who rose to power who claimed some sort of divine communication or otherworldly communication. There are actually, um, even though the, 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 the... rise of powers in Mesoamerica uh, came with separation of the land bridge uh, across Siberia into Alaska as they move their way down. Completely distinct cultures have a lot of commonality. Uh, Ancient Aztec and Mayan religious forces, the ancient Egyptians, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, they all have a whole lot in common with their religions. It's a very interesting pattern. In fact, the only religion that stands distinct from all the others is uh, the Judeo-Christian religion. And, And we should pin our finger on Judaism, a monotheistic God who claims to be the God of all things. There are no other gods. The sun and the moon are not objects to be worshipped, but objects of the sky. Moses writes this in Genesis. Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt, and yet this prince of Egypt who was raised to believe that the sun and moon were gods says, actually, they're just objects in the sky. They're not to be worshipped. There's only one God. And then along comes Christianity that fills in the plot line for Judaism. And along the way, what they say is that there is this unseen realm that sometimes gets seen. Elijah and his helper, they see the angel army surrounding them. When the helper's eyes are opened, they see that they're safe, surrounded by this angel army. See, I'm in the camp that the space is too big and too broad for it to be aliens. The speed of light, it'd be demons. Historically, there are a lot of strong men in the world who came to power being advised, some of them said by spirits, some of them said by by otherworldly beings who advised them and helped them rise to power, and they all turned out to be butchers. The man who inspired Adolf Hitler, he was an English philosopher who was uh, advised, whispered in his ear by a ethereal, bodiless figure whose voice he could hear and who inspired him towards uh, eugenics and white supremacy, and he inspired Adolf Hitler. So former Mexican president in the what turn of the, I think, the, the 1900s 
was a brutal dictator, rose from the middle class, became very wealthy, uh, guided into power, he said, by an advisor from another world, uh, did everything the advisor said. It led to a mass genocide in Mexico before the, the man himself was brutally murdered. See, our 21st century scientific understanding lacks the ability and the language to appreciate what Scripture refers to as as uh, the unseen realm uh, of angels and demons. And I'm just I'm of the mindset that if we take the speed of light is a constant across the universe, short of interdimensional transfer, then these aren't aliens we're dealing with. These are deeply dark beings. So it's either demons or psychological operation. That's where I come down. And look, I'm just telling you, you can say, well, Erickson's off the rails. I just don't think that we got little green men in the universe coming to find us. I don't think if they were able to venture their way all across the universe faster than the speed of light or through some interdimensional wormhole portal that they would suddenly crash on planet Earth in the 30s. I just, I don't believe that if you are capable of faster than light travel, you are capable of not crashing onto planet Earth and being captured by rednecks. And frankly, if they were captured by a redneck from Alabama, you would be taxidermied and mounted on the wall for everyone to see. And that hasn't happened. In an age of cell phones and everything else, we haven't captured these beings anywhere. I mean, all, all of the, the video is, is shaky, like, like special effects, bad footage. No, there's something else going on. We're either at psychological warfare with China or we got angels and demons spilling out into the open. But I don't think we have little green men. But if I was forced to choose, are we seeing the demons? Or are we seeing a psychological warfare operation? I would say considering the yawn the media gave to a revelation last week that we have non-human life forms preserved an amazing spacefaring technology that is orders and leaps of magnitude better than anything on planet Earth. I think we're seeing the United States running a psychological warfare campaign against a deeply paranoid group of communist Chinese, daring them to invade Taiwan, because if they do, wait till you see what we've got from the aliens. Because if it really was an alien campaign, and it really is everywhere, um, don't you think the Chinese have them too? Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to the Sensibles. And at bcs-kids.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. BCS-Kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Why, hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I would just note that nobody called in about the UFOs. <laughs> or they did and they couldn't get through. I was like, oh, you've gone off the rails enough. We don't need any other crazy people calling in 
with their ideas. I look, people ask, told you what I thought. I never, I never shy away from telling you exactly what I think. Now you need to know this, particularly those of you in Tulsa, Oklahoma, among others, uh, China, this is from the Daily Mail, uh, Jim Banks, the congressman from Indiana running for the Senate. He's demanded the education department take action. There are still public school districts in the country that are using Chinese money to advance education. And one of the schools highlighted in the map is the Tulsa Public Schools area uh, with little red classrooms still in operation. They received $17 million. It's been funneled from the Chinese Communist Party connected financial institutions into U.S. K-12 through programs, and that is a problem. Uh, there are schools in Texas, Kentucky, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Washington uh, that are affected. The Seattle Public Schools, the Sisters School District in Oregon, Highland Park Independent School District in Texas, Tulsa Public Schools in Oklahoma, Cloverport Independent School District in Tennessee, the St. Cloud Area School Districts, and Minnetonkan Public Schools in Minnesota. Uh, while the U.S. is not officially part of China's Belt and Road Initiative, Chinese state media has touted the work done by Confucius Institutes and Confucius Classrooms to further the Communist Party's global influence, according to a report. And it appears that uh, these school districts are still using that money. This is not a good situation. House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party Chairman Mike Gallagher uh, worked to have Alfred University and New York's Confucius Institute uh, closed in recent weeks. The university had obtained a five-year, $13.5 million taxpayer-funded research grant in 2022 uh, by the Pentagon to conduct hypersonic weapons research and was getting money from the Communist Chinese Party at the same time. University attorney Robert Fisher said Alfred University decided to close its Confucius Institute, and yet we still have seven school districts in the nation um, operating with money from the Chinese Communist Party. That's just not good. And hopefully these school districts will wind down um, their use of the Communist Party money. Please stop taking money from the Chinese Communists. Now, when we come back, Alex Kelly is the Secretary of Commerce for the state of Florida. Florida is on an economic run of sorts. Um, it's just running up the charts in places to do business, places to live, uh, tax advantages, uh, on and on. So when we come back, the Secretary of Commerce for the state of Florida, Alex Kelly, going to join me to talk about the economic success story of Florida that the media, of course, doesn't want to cover because Ron DeSantis is running for president and God forbid they should give a state uh, kudos for being so economically prosperous right now when their governor's running for president. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation, and the phone number is 877-973-7425. We've got a lot of affiliates now down in Florida. Uh, Jacksonville, we've got Orlando, now we've got all of South Florida uh, with WFTL, among others. And uh, it is, it's rare for me to have on my program guests, let alone someone who graduated from the University of Florida, but... Uh, considering how the UGA Florida games have gone lately, I, I feel comfortable uh, having on someone who might have gone. He ain't got his master's there, not undergrad. But he happens to also be the Secretary of Commerce 
for the state of Florida, Alex Kelly. Welcome to the show. How are you? Eric, thanks so much for having me. Good afternoon. All right, so let's let's step back for a minute first, so people understand that uh, the 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 Commerce Department in Florida, rather new invention through the legislature and the urging of of Governor DeSantis, taking a bunch of different departments that were in charge of of commerce and putting them together to try to streamline bureaucracy and efficiencies, and you get to be the guy to oversee all this. I do, I do. I have the uh, I have the honor of doing so. Um, I've, I've I've got a good perspective, um, and the governor granted me this opportunity to be the secretary. And like you said, to try to gain those efficiencies, really, also just frankly reduce the size of government, kind of reduce. I think the the footprint that if you're a job seeker or job creator, you have to go through to access different programs and resources. And so. Um, I've, I've worked the last couple of years with a lot of those agencies, uh, and I also have a, a history of working um, in our state education department and, and the governor's view of economic development. So often he really starts with workforce development first. Um, so I, I have an opportunity to kind of take workforce development principles, uh, reduce the size of government and try to gain some efficiencies for both uh, job seekers and job creators. And by the way, don't feel bad about the University of Florida thing. I'm proud to say go Gators. <laughs> um, and I, I live in a, I live in a household that is a house divided. My wife's an LSU Tiger, so um, I have to defend our Gators on a regular basis. So oh well, your wife is good people. Being being from Louisiana and, and rooting for my Tigers, your your wife is good people. I'm I'm always happy to interview your wife. Yeah, please do. So now yeah, let's talk about Florida's economy because you guys have been outpacing the nation with uh, jobs and growth for really the last couple of years, particularly in the COVID period as so many people moved from the north uh, and they got Florida license plates and decided to drive slow in the in the left lane. Uh, and they're all originally New Yorkers. It's It's my one pet peeve that uh, we haven't broken these New Yorkers who moved to Florida of the habit of driving slow in the left lane. And they all come up through 75 and 95 through Georgia trying to go home. But it really is just this remarkable economic success story of first moving all these people into Florida, having jobs for all these people who moved to Florida, having jobs for all the Floridians, and then the, just this explosive growth over the last year or so. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, um, I think it kind of ties back to something that the governor actually earlier today, uh, he he has he effectively declared our economic independence as a state uh, and, and made a point that, you know, we don't have to follow the path uh, of the rest of the nation. Like you said, uh, 32 consecutive months, we've actually had an unemployment rate below that of, of the national average. We're at 2.6% unemployment right now. You're not going to get much lower than 2.6%. 13 consecutive months, uh, we've been the lowest in terms of unemployment amongst the 10 largest states uh, in the nation. Um, year over year, we're seeing more Floridians come back to the labor force, too. Uh, over the last really four, four and a half years since the governor took office, we've had nearly a million, a million Floridians join the labor force, which is, is not just a sign of growth. It's a sign of confidence, too. That means people feel like there's a job out there for them. They want to participate in the state's economy. Uh, that, that's a huge win in and of itself, just giving people the confidence uh, to be here and the confidence to join the workforce, the confidence that the state's also investing in things like workforce um, development. Last year, uh, we were named the number one state in the country by Lightcast uh, for talent and attraction. That's both having jobs available for people, meaningful, uh, high demand jobs, and at the same time, supporting people's ability to get workforce education, job training, and actually 
get into those jobs. Uh, you know, you, you said it, uh, we've, we rank now number one in the nation uh, in net in migration because people are coming from California, New York, and, and other places because they know there's a job and they know there's opportunity for here uh, for them. Um, that's what I think has really rallied people around the governor because he's created a state and an economy that uh, has opportunity for people um, of all walks of life. And it's what's continuing to buoy business and industries um, interest in the state of Florida. We've had since uh, early 2019, since the governor started, um, we've had more business formations than any state in the country for four consecutive years. 2.4 million new businesses have formed uh, over the time of the governor's uh, administration. A lot of the small businesses, probably about 98, 99% of companies out there are actually small businesses. That's where innovation begins. That's where, you know, opportunity for folks who are working for somebody can change that around and say, you know, what, I'm going to work for myself. I've got a great idea and I, and I want to get moving my idea. And I, I want to be the one hiring people and giving people opportunity. And so 2.4 million new businesses uh, over the last uh, four and a half years. And we've made those investments um, in small business consistently um, because at the end of the day, that is a, a long term, just like workforce development. Um, that's how we, we can make sure that what we do now is going to help Florida 30 years from now. That's why um, the governor's out there saying that uh, what we're doing as a state is a model that all states can adopt. Um, it is a model of, of independence. States can be independent uh, from bureaucracy. States can be independent um, from outside forces. States can choose their own path. Uh, and that's, that's what he's, that's what he's pushed us to do. Um, that's what we're doing here um, in this department and in our state. Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Alex Kelly, Secretary of Commerce for the state of Florida, great economic news of the state. Alex, I want to step back just a little bit with you. Uh, in your prior career, you worked for the Foundation for Excellence in Education. One of the things that really does seem to set Florida apart and give it a leg up is this uh, fantastic school choice program that's been expanded. So uh, kids uh, in uh, economically um, poor communities and, and elsewhere can actually get into private schools and elsewhere to get great education. Uh, and we're seeing the economic success in Florida, it seems like to me, then translates in, from the education success translates into an economic success story because you have a, a literate workforce that can do math. That, that's 100% true. And right now, as a result of that bill, um, the bill was actually the first bill signed this past year, House Bill 1. As a result of that bill, every child in the state of Florida has access to school choice, whether they want to uh, learn in just a different public school than the one they're in, whether they want to participate in dual enrollment, whether they want to go to a private school, whether they just want to learn at home but have all the best resources available to them. I think a hallmark of that bill is really that every family deserves to have a choice of the setting in which their child learns. It's, it's a very personal decision. And it is ultimately a decision that begins in the home, moms, dads talking with their kids, what do you wanna do in life? And your zip code shouldn't dictate uh, what kind of opportunities you have available to you. And that does, that does, and you alluded to this, that does cascade to those other decisions in life. Am I going to go to a four-year college, a two-year college? Am I going to go to a technical training program? Um, am I not sure yet, but I just want to have those resources available to me when I'm ready to make that decision. Florida has increased massively apprenticeship programs uh, for students, not just, not just in post-secondary, but even in high school, too. Massive investments in apprenticeship because oftentimes that young person, they don't need a four-year brick-and-ivy degree. That's good for some. 
But for some students, they, they want to, at 18, 19, they want to go into the workforce. We've got 20-year-olds in Florida who, a year into the workforce, are making 6K uh, as a truck driver. Um, and, if, and those are good-paying jobs. We've got young people making $100,000 a year going ahead and getting into maintenance and repair in the auto industry, airline industry. And they don't need a four-year degree for these. Um, and and that, that choice mentality, letting young people, their families make these decisions, uh, as they work their way up through K-12 education, perhaps into post-secondary, it begins young. And it's letting families know you have the choice. And then the, the, the state of Florida has the resources uh, waiting for you when you're ready. And we have seen, we have absolutely seen a huge economic uh, boost because of that. You don't have a good economy. You you don't have a long-term sustainable economy if you don't have great K-12 education and great workforce education that, frankly speaking, meets people where they're at. So they can stay uh, in the community they love, working uh, in, in the neighborhoods with the people they love, starting a business. You don't have any of that if you don't have great education all the way from basically K through 20. So, Alex, let me ask you the last question before I let you go here. The governor made his pitch as a as a presidential candidate, and I realize you're Secretary of, of Commerce in Florida, firewalls, not a campaign spokesman, uh, but you you were a deputy chief of staff for him. He did appoint you to Secretary of Commerce. Uh, he unveiled his national plan today. Uh, what would you want people to know, based on your experience working with him in Florida and as Secretary of Commerce, uh, what nationally – uh, the nation could take from what Florida has done for greater economic growth nationwide? Sure. Well, Eric, like you said, you know, obviously I'm, I'm coming at this from the point of view of being the Secretary of Commerce, but, you know, I still observe, I think, what a lot of people do is that basically th- this is a two-person race right now, and you have Governor DeSantis who has actually governed. He's actually made promises, followed through with those promises, actually implemented those policies. It's kind of a policy walk. I mean, he gets into the details. He gets into what it is that actually takes, takes a great idea and says, okay, how are we actually going to implement this? How are we going to actually see it through to fidelity? So he's worked hard in that sense. He's actually delivered on his promises. I think that's why he had a 20-point 20, 20 win when he ran for reelection because you have Floridians from all sides of different aisles all saying, I'm employed and I'm actually – post-pandemic better employed, and my family's doing better. We, we've, we have more control over our future, our household economy. He's focused at that level, and he's focused on the things that matter long-term, supporting infrastructure for business and industry, supporting workforce development, and supporting the tools that people need to be successful in that, supporting things like broadband access, Supporting all those things that allow people to, to, to grow on their own. We've made $6.8 billion in discretionary investments. The governor has led the charge to do that over the last four years because that's not tied to one particular company. That's not going and looking saying, okay, here, what can we do for this one company out there? That's not tied into any sort of big corporation. That's empowering people. To, to find the job that matters to them. It's making those foundational type investments. The governor's made every single year of his administration record investments on workforce housing. If you don't have housing, eventually at some point you cap out. At some point, uh, you know, the, the, the well runs dry. So he's made record investments. He's made family-focused tax relief efforts. You know, he's done toll relief. We've provided hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in savings for people on Florida's toll roads. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's an employee or an employer trying to get to where they work, trying to get to a business meeting that matters to people. So he's done these things. He's even managed all the while to 
to actually pay down state bond debt. He's managed to, to, to run the state in a way where we have a AAA bond rating. We are incredibly attractive to business and industry. That's jobs for the workforce that we're training. So he's really looked at this and implemented this and actually succeeded in this regard on every single element of a great economy. That's why we're, we're hedging the other direction. Most of the country has negative growth. Most of the country is becoming uh, more reliant on foreign imports. Florida is becoming less reliant on Florida imports. Flor- Floridians are getting product and services overseas, and we're actually seeing our uh, export-to-import ratio go the right direction. And that's more jobs for people here at the end of the day. That's more manufacturing, shipping, supply chain, logistics, um, all because, because the, the growth of the state has been run in a way that's independent, of whatever the federal government, whatever Washington, D.C. is trying to tell us to do. It's, it's independent, just like the governor made his pitch today. And that's the path we're going to continue on. And so I think that's a path for the nation. I think literally what we've done, every state can adopt. It just takes courage. Uh, and it just, it just takes an absolute adherence to supporting that workforce, supporting people at the level that they need to be supported at so that they can enter the workforce at the level they want to work, they want to enter the workforce at. Alex, look, that's well said. I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you very much, and best of luck to you down there as the Secretary of Commerce for the state of Florida. Eric, thanks so much. Have a great day. Absolutely. Alex Kelly, Secretary of Commerce, state of Florida, the first Secretary of Commerce in Florida. The state legislature there restructured the various economic agencies in the state, put them together under one roof, and the governor picked Alex to run it to get a taste of what's happening in Florida as the governor begins to make his pitch nationwide with an economic vision that detaches us from China it relies on the free market and fairness within the rules so that, well, David can finally slay Goliath economically without the Democrats and the lobbyists in Washington surrounding Goliath with regulators so that uh, the small business can't innovate. That's kind of his message today. We'll pick that apart. He's been speaking on it today. We'll try to get him on the show, but also um, play some audio tomorrow. Well, uh, let me conclude today's program with a big news story that uh, appears to be local or regional, but is actually of national implications. And that is uh, Plant Vogel's Unit 3 is now active, uh, entering commercial operations. Now, those of you who don't know what Plant Vogel is, it's the first new nuclear power plant in the United States in a generation. Um, it's the first newly constructed one in over 30 years. It's going to power 500,000 homes and businesses. Once all four units are online, uh, it'll be the largest generator of clean energy in the nation. Uh, it is a Georgia power project near Augusta, Georgia, south of Augusta, Georgia. Uh, and this is big news because uh, Georgia Power has faced a lot of blowback nationally from environmentalist groups and others who thought they should have favored non-nuclear clean energy. In other words, stuff that can't be used for baseload power. Uh, this this power plant can be used for baseload power. That is the power that you need at the flip of a switch, as opposed to I can wait for the sun to come up or wait for the wind to blow. When you need power, this is going to do it. It's happening in Georgia. And the reason this is so important for you nationally is – We haven't built a nuclear power plant in this country in 30 years. Our institutional and legacy memory for how to do it died. Literally, the men who built the original nuclear power plants in this country are either retired or dead. 
So Georgia Power had massive cost overruns, massive cost overruns. There was a huge national push to get them to kill the project because it, it exceeded costs. Um, and they're like, no, we have to do this. The reason we're exceeding costs is because no one knows how to build a nuclear power plant in the United States anymore. It's all theory. Except now, because of their leadership, theory has again become reality. There was a second nuclear power plant in the country being built, uh, but Westinghouse wound up going through a bankruptcy process, and that nuclear power plant was going to be built in South Carolina. It, too, had cost overruns, and the power company there decided to shut down the building because of the cost overruns. And the cost overruns were all related to the fact that we don't have any uh, technical know-how in this country. It is essentially uh, the blind leading the blind based on what prior generations did. And George Power stuck with it. They have developed this uh, fantastic, well-run nuclear power plant in Georgia. Uh, the environmentalists who claim to be green-friendly have protested. They have tried to block it, and now we're generating power from it. Uh, upwards of 500,000 houses will be uh, covered with it. And so there will be uh, multiple nuclear units, nuclear reactors deployed. It'll cover a whole lot of people. And we need more of this in this country. We need more nuclear power. So kudos to the folks. If anyone's listening at Georgia Power, uh, you deserve a pat on the back for, despite all the criticism and all the cost overruns, going through with the program to not just redevelop nuclear power in the United States, but redevelop the knowledge, the institutional, operational, and people knowledge necessary for the United States to get back into the nuclear power game. China and Russia are running circles around us in the development of nuclear power. And thanks to this one project in Georgia, we now have a whole slew of engineers in the country with the knowledge to continue to deploy more nuclear power in the country, something we should be doing instead of putting solar panels and windmills up. Uh, more nuclear power in this country, please. Thank you to Georgia Power for doing this. Now we need more nationwide around the country clean nuclear power.